Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview our special guest, my good friend, Daryl Lyons. Daryl is an author, he's an entrepreneur, he's a community leader, and a family man. Daryl is a certified financial planner, he is a behavioral financial advisor, and he's the co-founder of PAX, that's P-A-X Financial Group, a financial advisory firm that honors Judeo-Christian values and helps high net worth individuals and families pursue their meaning of true wealth. An expert in the area of personal finance, Daryl is also the author of several books on the subject, his latest being endorsed by Dave Ramsey. Daryl's company, Pax Financial Group, has made the Inc. list of the 5,000 fastest growing companies in the country, and it was named one of the best places to work by the San Antonio Business Journal. Rooted in thousands of one-on-one conversations with people and a relatively new study called Behavioral Finance, Daryl's latest mission involves helping to redefine the way people look at retirement. Rather than simply, quote, retiring, the mission is to help individuals as they pivot into the next chapter of life with purpose. And I love that, Daryl. Daryl, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. You ready for this? I am. Thank you so much, Alan. It's good to see you again, too. Absolutely. Yeah, we were just chatting a little bit off air. It's been, I guess, about three years since we last seen each other in person. And it's been fun getting to meet you. I know I think you were here for a Dave Ramsey event in the Nashville area, weren't you at the time? Yeah, and we hung out at Johnny Cash's house. That's right. We went and checked out Johnny Cash's house. That was fun. Yeah, that was really cool. Our good friends that owned the house and lived in it at the time have since sold it. So we don't have that opportunity to get to give our friends tours of Johnny Cash's house anymore. But that was awesome. That was cool. Well, I've just shared just a brief intro of who you are, but if you would just give us the 30,000 foot view, spend a couple minutes just bringing our listeners up to speed on who you are and kind of how you got to where you're at today. You've had a ton of success and I'll turn it over to you for a couple minutes. Yeah, a lot to say to that, but I'll try to keep it concise. So I'm from generally the South Texas area and lived mostly small towns in Texas, one of which was right near the border in Harlingen, Texas. Ended up moving up to Casherville, Texas, which is a small Texas town, just Friday night lights, just like you would imagine a Texas town. And we lived in a little trailer park on the side of the road. And I remember one day I was edging uh, the skirting on the trailer. My dad had me edge it. And you have to be real careful when you edge the skirting on a trailer because that little plastic, it's not plastic, but whatever it is, if it hits the skirting, it cracks it. So it's a real problem. And I'm thinking, you know, one day I really want to have a house with a foundation. So I had a friend whose uh, dad was a banker and they had a nice house with the foundation. I was like, well, I guess I'll be a banker. So I went to St. Mary's University right in the middle of San Antonio. I worked at a bank. That's how I paid my way through school, about 35 hours a week. So you could a Very reliable. I would always be there working. Got a degree in accounting. In fact, one of the professors uh, came across and asked me to tutor. She said I had a skill for that. And then I took an investment course. They gave us a bunch of fake money and said, whoever makes the most wins, I won. And I'm putting together this 
I guess, interest and knowledge and passion for finance and investments and taxes. And that's when I went to the library and I looked, what do you do with this? I had no idea what you do with this. And I found this thing called CFP. So I started in this journey the day after I graduated college, worked for a big institution, was heading to New York and Chicago. And my wife and I said, we want to stay in San Antonio. We quit. Very difficult time. We pretty much went broke. I figured I was going back to the trailer park, bumped into a guy named Dave Ramsey, who I looked down upon because I had all these letters behind my name at that point. But I finally humbled myself and went through his program and did envelopes for probably 10 years, paid off all our credit card debts. I had a stack of life insurance policies. I had sold myself uh, just to, uh, kind of a little bit of a mess. It makes sense. So Dave then, through a number of people, uh, specifically Andres Gutierrez, found me to be an advocate for him. And so he very kindly endorsed me. I mean, I had a huge endorsement of Dave Ramsey. I mean, I was one of the top in the country. I got on his advisory council and had a great relationship with him for a number of years. Great man. Yeah, I mean, he just gave us a lot of momentum. So about 15 years, our company really just was known as the Dave Ramsey Company. We got to a point just last three years where it was, we were moving in a different direction and just decided to just kind of create our own brand and identity because this is where we'd spent a lot of time working with his listeners over the years and changed our model a bit, but good, good man. So here we are today. We have 25 employees continuing to grow very deliberately. Uh, we've really, really, really enjoyed in the place of being able to honor our Judeo-Christian values and express those values through our money and help those people of faith understand how to align their financial planning and investments with their values. So we spend a lot of time doing that now, and it's just been a blast. And so I'm married with four children, and we're blessed. We live in a little town called New Braunfels, Texas, in between San Antonio and Austin. And I think that's pretty much a summary of who I am and where I'm at today. Thank you. So you grew up, you talked about edging the skirting on your trailer, your mobile home, right? Yeah, your mobile yeah. home as, as a child. I guess that was a step up from having hay bales as skirting around the bottom of it, right? Yeah, that's true. I had to, you know, I had a job moving mobile homes. That was part of my job too. So I'd learn how to strap them down and move the hay bale, you know, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, I became familiar with mobile homes. I just didn't want to do it. My daughter just the other day, she's like, dad, I really want an RV. I think it'd be fun. And I thought, oh, yeah, it'd be fun. But it just reminds me, just all of the inside of the RV reminds me of trailers. And so I, I have to get over that little thing. But yeah, it was an imprint for sure. So you didn't come from money, I guess all that to say. No, no, I didn't. And, you know, my mom had me when she was 16. My dad was 20. Uh, they had very wow. difficult situations themselves growing up. And so I thought I came from a long line of rednecks that, uh, that just didn't amount to anything. I did some history and found out that I did have some people in my background. I had some mayors and some very prominent people, but just somewhere along the way, things kind of got squirrely. You got to be very careful. You know, there's, you know, alcoholism in the family tree and things like that, that I'm very careful of today and just try to reflect and say, what decisions were made and how can I, of course, correct my family tree? And that's been important to me. Yeah. So how many years ago was it when you met Dave Ramsey? Oh, goodness. 15, 20 years ago. It's probably 20 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I don't know the history there very well at the timeline, I guess, but he was a pretty big name by that point already, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was gaining momentum, but he's got, you know, I want to say 1,100 employees. I bet he had 100 then. I mean, it wasn't that many. He was gaining momentum. He was just killing it. And, and you know, I don't know him extremely well. I have been to his house and he knows me and I know him from that regard. I don't call him up or anything like that, but I got to tell you, he is a good man doing a great thing because he created this entree leadership platform that's ancillary to his personal financial conversations. Yeah. And I've modeled a lot about how we build things out from the entree leadership platform. I've been to several of those events. They're really, really good. And so really help getting the spirit injected up to the organization that transpires from a crystallized vision and mission and 
getting everyone on fire. I think it's brilliant what he's done there. Well, and you've done some amazing things as well. You said you've grown your organization to 25 employees. Spend just a quick minute bragging on yourself and your financial success, because I know we're going to get into some other things. But before we jump off of that, I don't even know what you might want to say, but you quantify the size of a financial planning business by the amount of money under management, or is that a completely no, different thing? No, 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 that's, that that's fair about? enough. I mean, I'd start with, I'm just really passionate about this industry. It's not something, you know, some people wake up in this business, they say, oh, hey, there's money there. I'm going to leave my coaching job. That's not me. My heart's in this thing. Just two years ago, I decided to go to Texas A&M Law School, get my master's in financial services. I'm a constant student in this game, right, for Forbes I serve on boards. I've served on the boards to the degree that I've moved into chairman roles where the mayor named a park after me because we were able to orchestrate the finances. So I believe wholeheartedly that God's put me in place to help people understand how money works. There's over 2,000 scriptures that talk about money, more than prayer and faith combined. So our team has rallied around this idea of we're still chipping at the David, so to speak, to really form who we are, but we've really come a long way and feel that we're very mission driven. So 25 employees, 600 million in assets, growing aggressively, but actually growing organically. It's a misnomer to sometimes reflect on how you measure these industries because oftentimes we go to conferences and we measure ourselves in assets under management and that's how we kind of flex our muscles. But for me, I think we're making a significant impact and we're doing it without going out there and acquiring a bunch of businesses, we're doing organically, which means that it's just client by client, client by client. And it's working really well because we're able to develop and stress test the infrastructure and putting constraints. So we haven't taken any private equity money or venture capitalist money. Two or three years ago, I had a big private equity firm that was about to buy us and I would have retired, right? I would have been checked out. I would have been done. I told my mom, I said, mom, this is how much they're wanting to give me. And she goes, you know, from a trailer, she goes, boy, you better take that money. And I was like, okay, mom, I'm going to take this money. So I get down to the very end and they took issue with the integration of our faith into our organization, their leadership team, their attorneys. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I just had to settle that this doesn't make sense. This is not my calling. So I decided to stiff arm that money and pursue this and no regrets having a complete ball doing it. My team is fired up. They're passionate. So when you have something that's just a calling like this, even in something as boring as money, it doesn't become work anymore. It's just what I do. Had you sold, what would you be doing today? Do you think? So first of all, they wanted me to be this regional guy that went around the country. And I was like, yeah, that'll last about a year. Maybe I could imagine me, the guy that was going to be my boss. I was just like, I could not, I, you know, I just couldn't do that. So I would have started something yeah. else and it'd probably been in the space of money. You know, I do books and I do speaking and I do all that stuff. And so maybe something in that space. But I don't know. I, I hadn't completely crossed that bridge. I, I thought about some of the things I was going to buy. But even then, I don't really need much. I've seen a lot of people with money over the years. I've talked with like people that are famous and a lot of money. So I've seen people with money and the stuff doesn't really do much for me. I mean, I just got new shoes today and I was happy about that. But, you know, uh, so as you start saying, I'm going to get this and that and that, you're like, eh, I don't know. I say all that because I'm very thankful that I didn't have to make those decisions. Absolutely. And, you know, as my good friend Dwight Johnson and business partner says, people retire to expire. It's definitely something I don't plan to do. I think we were created for a meaningful purpose and a mission-driven pursuit, whatever that may be. And to have something to keep us going and engaged and doing something that counts. Like you said, if you would have sold out, you'd be on to some other meaningful pursuit. You know, you wouldn't just sit around and count your money. But I think so many people go through life thinking, 
hey, I'm going to grind it out. Life's hard. Life's tough. I don't even like my life, but someday I'm going to like my life when I retire. And then I'm going to live my golden years, you know, in the sunset. But I find most people that's not the reality. I know you have some opinions and thoughts and feelings on retirement. I think you're pretty passionate about that. In fact, isn't that maybe the topic of your new book? Well, so uh, the the new one, I'm going to dive into some of the biblical stuff. And I do touch on this subject, which is retirement very much so. And we often talk about pivoting. A client gave this to me. They said, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to pivot. And that just like it was light bulb. I've spoken kneecap to kneecap with thousands of people who have successfully retired. And I interviewed at least 50 of them in a podcast format. And I've gotten very intimate in these conversations and I've discovered some really interesting things. One of which is of course, that if we think about the definition of retirement, it means by definition, it means the disposal of an asset that's no longer useful. And I have conviction that a life continues. If you have breath in your lungs, you are useful. And specifically, if you have wisdom and money and time, then the challenge is, is that how do we put this good use to use? And that's where it becomes a problem is thinking about how do we flip the switch when a lot of our identity has been in our work? That does take time, take some thought, some conversations, a little bit of what we talked about before, the idea of behavioral finance, which means sometimes we have to go. I know this sounds crazy, but you have to go to your childhood. Why have you been doing what you've been doing? And in every single interview I had with a retiree on our podcast, they discussed their childhood and how the decisions they made with money were all rooted in how they were raised with money. And so we have to ask ourselves, is that the framework of making decisions in the next chapter? Or do we lean on maybe a different decision-making tool? Like now at this point going forward, I don't need to live life full of worry and I don't need to be validated, but rather it's time for me to flip the script. And in this next chapter, I'm going to give back. And so those retirees who decide to invest in the lives of others, they're happier and they're not full of anxiety or worry. Those that are just focused on Fox News and flower beds, they're not going to last long and they really have chronic health conditions. And this is all well documented. And Mm. so it's just a matter of thinking through this next chapter and being deliberate about how you transition into this next chapter and being intentional about how you're going to live. So we spent a lot of time thinking about that. So financial advice has kind of transitioned somewhat from just penciling out the numbers and doing probability analysis to actually unpacking some of these things in a very deep and intimate way. And then, of course, when we decide what we're going to do, carving out how did the economics look there. So I know that's a lot to be said, but my main point is that I don't want people to retire. I don't want them to be disposed of as an, as an asset. I want them to pivot into the next chapter and reach down and grab the hand of somebody else. And it makes sense. It does make sense. And I love that so much, Daryl. In fact, I remember years ago, I met an older gentleman who had a business that was now being run by his son and his grandsons. And he was probably in his late seventies. And when I met him, we started talking and I said, so how many years ago did you retire from the family business? And he looked at me, his head kind of snapped a little bit to the side and he said, retire? I'm not retired. He said, I don't find anywhere in God's word that it ever uses the word retire. In fact, I see the opposite in God's word. It says, if a man doesn't work, 
he shouldn't eat. <laughs> and he said, I will never retire. Meaning exactly what you're saying. If there's air in my lungs and I have time and money and resources and wisdom, and we should have more the older we get, there's always someone to serve. There's always value to put out there. There's people to help. There's work to be done. It just may not look like traditional work. He was out, you know, pulling weeds and doing stuff on the family farm at that point in time when I met him. That's a great point. I'll touch on that because in the Bible there is, and maybe the original text is not retired, but there is a commentary in the Old Testament where Moses is going to retire from a job to provide Aaron and the tribe to step into his place. Maybe his back was hurting, maybe he was tired, or maybe it was time for that next leadership to step up. And so I think about the context of what that meant, if in fact retire was used there. And I think about it maybe in the context of our government today, Have we have a lot of 80-year-olds that it's probably about time that they transition, right? I mean, we know this. And there comes a point where it's time to transition so that the next generation can play a role, fulfill a lifelong opportunity for them to step in a leadership role. So in your example, I'm sure the person didn't retire. I'm sure what he did is he moved into a different role so that way he could allow others to lead and the joy of getting them to lead is worth it. That's even better than just checking out completely. Exactly. 100%. That's exactly what he was doing as I started to get to know the family a little better and understand the, the scenario. And I love the Moses example there too, because you could use the word retirement there. A, a lot of people though, their mindset, and you've already addressed this, is their idea of retirement. I know that's what you're addressing is would you say Fox News, sitting around watching Fox News and, and picking up your flower, flower beds bed. all day long? I mean, I don't know how yeah. long you could do that after a while. Hannity drives yeah. me nuts. Yeah. Or I mean, it could be CNN yeah, whatever. And, and golf courses yeah. or, or whatever. It's just yeah. like, yeah, not adding value to anyone else's life, not serving Because others, you so. deserve it, right? That's the idea is like you deserve it and we substantiate it. And look, I know a lot of rich people will be like, well, I don't care. And I just think that there's a lot of people that need you. If somebody were to say, hey, well, I like playing golf and I deserve it, I'd say to that person, there's a lot of people that need you and uh, you've got time, energy and resources. And I, I don't want to see that go to waste. I love that, Daryl, so much. What would you say has been, you've had a ton of success. You're killing it in business. I love your humility and your mindset and your perspective around money and things. But what would you say has been a key, one of the keys to your success in business and life? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I would say what other people would say is I'm consistent. I do things consistently. I sleep consistently. I eat consistently. I drink water consistently. I take my vitamins consistently. The vitamins I bought from you. <laughs> right on. Yeah, read consistently. I work out consistently. I have a consistent habits that I do. I'm consistent in what I do. I read the Bible consistently. And it's not so dogmatic. This Craig Rochelle, I don't know if you know that leader, he's just another level of consistency. Like what he eats is consistent. I want to taste a variety. Sometimes I'll park in a different place just to park in a different place. But I am generally, if you were to evaluate my life, you would say, okay, maybe not the most talented, maybe not the most articulate, maybe not the most intellectual, but that guy is consistent. And I really just don't give up. I just don't give up. I don't quit. I never have. And I guess when the pain of life is relative to what you've experienced and what I've experienced growing up. And so if I have a hard time, I always reflect. And so it could be much worse. It could be much worse. I, yeah. I tell my team, they're like, please don't say this is hard work. 
you want to see hard work, it's 115 degrees in South Texas. Let's look out the window and see those yellow cones and those guys doing whatever it is around those yellow cones. That's hard work. Nothing we do is hard work. And I've got to tell you that perspective came for me in our backyard from our own Greg Popovich of the San Antonio Spurs, who has NBA and I'm friends with the Spurs and not all of them, but I've been watching their leadership. So I watch these leaders and I know I'm going on tangents just a little bit, but I watch leaders like Dave Ramsey and the San Antonio Spurs. And I just, I mean, I'm taking notes. Like these guys are just at the top of their game. And I love when Greg Popovich, who's a consistent leader as well, set aside his political stuff for a second, but he sets his teammates aside when they're having a bad game. He goes, guys, it's just a ball. Like there's stuff going all across the world. There's chaos. Just relax and have fun. This is just, and I just have to put that in perspective for me too. So like whenever there's a bad day, I, I want to have a consistent attitude as well. That was my point. So good, Daryl. I'm so glad you shared that. And that is a common theme. Not only is it a truth I believe wholeheartedly, but it is a common theme I hear a lot from successful people like yourself is the importance of consistency. And I think so often it's so easy to think that somebody else had the success they had and got the level they had of success in their health, in their marriage, in their finances, in whatever we're talking about here. And to say, man, they must have done something. They must have something really special. They must have done something very extraordinary. Some do. But the fact is what I realized, and I'm sure you'd agree, most people do not do something so extraordinary. They do very ordinary things extraordinarily consistently. And over time, that compounds, right? Yeah, you said it very well. Yeah. It's, it's like compound interest. Yeah. hundred percent. Has life just been all rainbows and butterflies and no challenges? Or have you had any hard things to have to get through on your journey through life at this point? There was a, a time where this was probably 12 or 13 years ago. My daughter was three or four at the time, but I was really struggling just as who I am as a man, because I had a trade era where I placed a trade on a client's account, lost him tens of thousands of dollars. And he was mad and he had a beard and guns and it was really frustrating. And then I was trying to play golf and I'm not a golfer. I've really totally embarrassed myself there. And I just, everything was just, I was just a lot of stuff was just bothering me at the time. And uh, then I was like, okay, I'm going to relax. I'm going to get off early. I'm going to take my daughter to uh, HEB, which is the grocery store down the road, put her in the back seat in her car seat. And her name's Claire, beautiful blondie. And she's three or four at the time and she screams and I look back and she had accidentally kicked the electronic up button on my Jeep Cherokee and stuck her finger out the window and it was stuck between the window and the frame. And so I thought I was going to have to punch the window because I couldn't get it down and her foot was still on it. So I pull over into like a McDonald's parking lot. Finally, the window goes down and her finger severed and it blood all over her little dress. Mm. So I take her to the hospital and um, they asked me, what's your name? I couldn't, you know, I was all flustered. Fortunately, the doctor successfully reattached her finger and it still has a scar there, but my wife was pregnant with our third baby. And because of all the trauma that night, she lost the baby. And so I'm putting all this together. And up until this point in my life, I had an attitude called MTXE, mental toughness, extra effort, but I could not MTXE my way out of this. It was kind of one of the point, all this thing was chaos, out of control, father, husband, business person, person, just, I just felt like I just couldn't do it. I could not do this life, could not do this life. It was just too tough. And so I had a mentor and I called him up and kind of explained what was going on. And I don't remember what he said, but I remember what God said through him. And that was, are you done yet? Are you done living the life I never intended you to live? Are you done with all the stress and all the checklists and all the how-to books and all the being perfect and 
are you done? And I was completely done. And so then he kind of walked me through some scriptures about what it meant to abide and trust. And apart from him, you can do nothing. And before I read the scriptures and I thought they were good and they were a good guidebook of life. But at that point, I realized that this life that I was calling myself a Christian really meant to trust him. And since I made that transition to trust him each moment, it's been just a breath of fresh air. I feel like I don't have to do things. I don't have to control the outcome. God's in control. I'm not. It's totally transformed me. And I think people who've been around me have seen that transformation. I'm less stressed. I'm less concerned about outcomes. I'm more concerned about people and behavior and helping guide them. And so it's been a transformative experience. And that man was very important in my life and shared that wisdom with me. And and I think that would be one event I'd say that was a catalyst in my story. How would you help somebody who says, I want to live that life you just described, Daryl? I want to abide. I want to trust. I want to give it all to God. I, I want to give up striving and stressing and the anxiety and the worry and all the things that come with that. But I also know there's my responsibility on the other side Yeah, where I got to work. I do need to hustle. I do need to put in effort on some level. I do need to set goals. I do need to measure metrics. How do the two of those in your mind jive? Because I know you're still working and I know you're still accomplishing, right? And you're still doing great things, maybe greater things. How do you explain that to somebody? It's one of the mysteries in the entire Bible. It's threaded throughout. Even look at Genesis, where we're called to keep and cultivate. I mean, we're talking about keeping and cultivating the earth, not just Adam and Eve in the garden, but even today we're called to keep and cultivate. But our responsibility, and hear me out here, our responsibility is to respond to his ability. And so everything that I do is not something that I've manufactured. Even the desires I have today aren't my own. Even the person that comes and sees me or this podcast interview, it's, it's all orchestrated by him. And so is the outcome. Right. So I love work. The Bible says, go like an ant, you sluggard, consider his ways and be wise. And I think right. we have a purpose in us and a passion. It's honorable to work. I think the end of the day that if we do it independent of Christ, we get something else and that's anxiety and worry and stress. And so we go out and work and recognize that the results are all on him. In fact, everything I do, is orchestrated by him and just appreciating that along the journey. And so I think what Mm. it means is that if you want to be really practical here, which I do have some friends that say, get me really practical here. Do it. Do it. I would say work freakishly hard, really hard, but all day long, praise God. Like all day, like I love Jesus all day. Like in the beginning and during the day I'm worshiping him, I'm praying, I'm meeting with brothers in Christ it's all day. I mean, it's all day and it's just in between things. I keep note cards in my pocket of scriptures. I'm memorizing the word. I'm praying. It's all day in between. You're engaged with God. If you could work hard and do that, you're going to find something pretty darn special. If you want to talk about how do you integrate it, it's weird. It's different. But remember, we were called people of the way. There's a different way of doing things. And so I'd suggest that there's just a different way to do business. And that's saying, I'm going to go all in on God. And so I'm just going to integrate him and weave him into all the moments. I'm not going to forget about him because what we do is we grind and we forget about him. And what happens as a result of that is now we're doing it independent of him. The byproduct of doing it independent of him is stress and worry and body neglect and all the other stuff that comes with that. So how do you weave him in and out of your day? It's not that difficult. It's not, I mean, we have plenty of resources out there to be able to do that, but it's weaving him throughout your hard work. I love that. That's very practical. 
Let's go back to identity real quick before I ask you some rapid fire questions. So your daughter, I guess that was an electric window, yeah. right? I mean, it wasn't a crank up old school, right? So I didn't know they had that much power to literally sever a finger. But I mean, I had my finger slammed in car doors and, and other kid children and it didn't do that. But the window, wow. So the question is, you mentioned something about identity. And I just want to, I, I know we don't have a ton of time left, but I do want to just touch on that before we move on. And that is because I believe so many struggle with this identity. And I know it causes all kinds of problems. I know because I've been there. But what was it about that scenario and that ER visit and whatever you went through? What, what was it that changed your perspective on your identity? Maybe a before and an after, if, if that's a fair question. Yeah, the way I grew up, and a lot of this can go back to dad issues. Like my dad and I have a great relationship today, but for a while he wasn't around. So if you're not validated by somebody, you seek validation. Right. And so your identity is in the validation. And it becomes really tricky because if I get a new client, then I would feel validated by getting that new client. But at the same time, I'd also hurt a little bit if they left. My identity would hurt. Or I'd get offended easy because they left, right? Or, uh, you know, just a, a lot of times I'd see it in the tendency to get offended really easy. And then my identity is in something else. Mm-hmm. So after a while, you just realize that that just can't work. And that event really put me in a low place where I just recognized that my identity is in my creator. I don't need to be validated by other people. And I don't need to be so easily offended or frustrated. And it changed the way I actually responded to my children. I even regret that I raised my voice to my kids before that because I'd get offended that they said something. And so I'd raise my voice and it's like, I look back and I go, man, I wish I wouldn't have raised my voice. There's no need to or get mad at an employee or somebody else or a client and just all that stuff. And that just weighs on you. And then, you know, when your identity is in the relationship with your creator, that stuff doesn't matter. I'm not going to say it doesn't ping every now and again, but it doesn't last as long. I promise you. And so I'd say that's the litmus test for who your identity is in. I love that, Daryl. When you look back on past challenges, whether it was the scenario with your daughter, whether it was your upbringing with whatever challenges came there or any other, how do you view them now at this point in time in hindsight? I'm very empathetic to other people. I love people. I'm actually not a social person, uh, very awkward socially, and people would see that right away, but I love people. I see the child in them and their situations and the difficulties that they have in life, and I want to help in so many different ways. I don't believe in handouts. I believe that there's better ways to be able to help, so I try to be very strategic. I don't give to homeless people. Like, I just don't. I mean, you might, other people might, but I promise you, I give a ton to organizations that give to homeless people. Because there's just a better way to do it. But I care for them. I care for them individually, even if they're drug addicted because there's something else going on, mental illness or a situation. I just empathize with people. I understand that life's hard. And I think that empathy is really a gift in a lot of ways. And that can only come through a difficult upbringing. I don't think I can teach that to my kids. I try, but it's hard because they don't experience like I did. Man. So many directions. I'd love to take this conversation. I can't resist another one. Sure. What do you say? Because you have financial success today and you didn't as a child. So your children are growing up. What, what is the age range of your children now? Nine to 18. Nine to 18. So they're growing up with resources that you didn't have. Fair to say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
So what advice would you give to parents that maybe they grew up without any money? Maybe they did, but the point is they have some resources today. And how do you strike that balance as a parent between providing for your children a good life, like our heart's desire is to, you know, Bible talks about that. We want to give good gifts to our children. How much more does God want to give good gifts to us? He tells us, and letting them learn the lessons they need to learn and the character development they need to learn that not getting everything that you want anytime you want it can't really provide. How do you balance that? Uh, It's really tough and I've done enough homework on it to try to draw some conclusions so I I can talk about that. And it's a conversation I have with my peers because we're, you know, a lot of us are challenged with the same thing. And the thing about it is all kids are different. You know, I used to have spreadsheets on how to do this and I thought I could figure it out, hack it and figure this out. But my kids are all different and they all learn about money completely different. But I'll give you some truths that I think are helpful. One is lots of micro conversations about money, not just every now and again, all the time. Go to the grocery store. They say, hey, I would like to get a box of cereal saying, how much is it? How much is taxes? Like those little micro conversations are very important. And so I would say that if you look at research, even research that try to debate between chores and allowance, there's not evidence that supports one's better than the other, but there is evidence that supports a lot of micro conversations about money is really, really healthy. And that gets you to the point where sometimes you have to have conversations that, you know, it stays within the family. Even if you need a manufacturer conversation sometimes, right now that's not in the budget. Just can't do that. Saying no when it makes sense, because children will be like, oh, come on, you're not making sense. Well, right now, hey, it's not in the budget. I've actually had the market go down, the stock market go down, and I was a little nervous. You know, financially, there might be some challenges, nothing that we couldn't come out of, honestly. But I tell my kids, hey, the market's down right now, and I think we need to you know, cut back and doing things. And I did that because I wanted to teach them some constraints. And they worry. They're like, are you going to be okay? That's a little healthy worry. I want a little bit of that because they're going to have it down the road. So I want to give them a little right. now. And then finally, showing how important the pause is. Every time they say, can I have something on Amazon? And they can click it in one click. Say, I think so, but can you ask me tomorrow? And then tomorrow comes, and of course, they don't want it anymore. So those are just a couple practical things. So good. Thank you so much. Might have to have another conversation just all around that because I think there's such a need for it out there. But uh, thank you for sharing those nuggets. I really appreciate it. If there was one thing, and there's probably many things if you're like me, but if there was one thing you wish somebody would have told you when you were much, much younger, one piece of advice you wish you would have received, you could go back and give yourself, you know, in hindsight, what would that be? One advice I did get, can I say that, and that I wish I would have gotten? Yeah, sure. Give them both. One advice I got early from a guy that's, he was a really weird guy, but I asked him, Because when I was younger, I was like, I just asked like a ton of successful people, what should I be doing like at 20? And he looked at me and he goes, if I were you, I'd get in over my head. That has been great advice. I've gotten in over my head so many times. I'm like, I do not belong here. But then that's where all the fun happens. And so I just got in over my head. And then that's been great. Lots of cool stuff. I can't even tell you the adventures I've had just getting in over my head. I should not be the chairman of this board or I should not be on this private jet or I should not be on court side. You know, the stuff I've done that I shouldn't be here, but this is great. Get in over your head. So that's fun. I love it. Good advice. And then two, I wish I would have trusted God more. There's just too much worry. That was a waste of time. I, I just wasted time. You know, there's all these different ways that you can suppress worry along the years, whether it's alcohol or lack of sleep or excess working out. I did it all. 
I used to do mixed martial arts and I was so stressed that I would, you know, work out eight hours a day and just, just high performance kind of stress relief stuff. That was nonsense. I, you know, I didn't need to worry about it. God had it all under control. I know that today, but I had to learn my lessons the hard way. So good. So good. Get in over your head too. That's great advice. Two great pieces of advice there. Expand your comfort zone, right? Step outside your comfort zone. Do something that scares you. So many different ways to say a similar, yeah, yeah, exactly. a similar thought, right? I love that so much. What would you say is one habit that has really helped you in your success? One thing I do before I leave the office or leave work every day, I've done this for 15 years. It's, it's kind of nerdy, but I write down the six most important things I need to do for the next day. And I do that because my future self sometimes gets overwhelmed by all the things that's thrown at me. And so I'm pretty much helping my future self by saying, here's the six things that you need to do that are most important. And then I just do one and I get that dopamine hit whenever I scratch it off. And then I do the next, another yeah. dopamine hit. So I treat my body to a little dopamine hit every time I do that. And I've been doing that for years. And once I do my six, I create another six and I keep doing it. And that's how I work my day. And I've done it for 15 years. I love it, Daryl. Why six? Why not five? There's some three, psychology seven. behind it. Yeah, I wasn't the inventor of it. I learned it from a smart guy who learned it before a smart guy. And then there's some psychology around the six. I have no idea what, so I've stuck with it. Okay. And it's working, obviously. Let's talk about your book real quick before I ask you this question. Tell us about your book. I know we've touched on it a minute ago, but tell our listeners about your book because no doubt there's people listening to this podcast that could benefit from yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. And you know, books, you're launching a book and you don't make money off books. It's like cashing jelly beans, but no. it does uh, allow people to get to know you and, and you know, you're just vulnerable and you're able to put in hard work. So it's, a, it's an honor when people read it. But I wrote one on biblical responsible investing. I started out talking about my love for Alice in Chains as a band. So that's interesting. But I do talk about how you can, in today's marketplace, how you can actually integrate your faith into the marketplace using tools today. For example, we do a lot of biblical responsible investing where you screen out investments in stocks and companies that are behaving antithetical to biblical worldview, how that's done, the health insurance alternatives in the Christian marketplace, the donor advised funds in the Christian marketplace. There's some very unique, specific financial tools that can accommodate Christians' deeply held faith and beliefs. And so I express that in this book, Biblical Responsible Investing. Love it. I love it. And where can people find that? Anywhere books are sold online pretty much, or is it just one place? Pretty much. My publisher said I'm going to have it launched January 30th. And so it'll be available okay. then. He told me to tell people that if they want it, they can certainly do the pre-order. And if they pre-order, they get a PDF version or they can wait, whatever's okay. easiest. But yeah. Okay, great. January, 2024. What's one book, speaking of books, that you might recommend to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience? I think a lot of entrepreneurs underestimate the value of having a vision. You know, the Bible says where there is no vision, yeah. people perish. And I thought the book by Cameron Harold called Double Double does a good job of framing how to create a vision. It just seems like an exercise in futility when you've got the grind in front of you. But man, I've talked with a lot of entrepreneurs that lack vision. And it's really messy when you lack vision. Your people don't feel compelled to take action. There's just a lot of problems that happen. So that'd be a book I'd highly recommend. I love it. What's your definition of success, Daryl? You thought about that much? You know, it's really tricky to define, but I would just say making the most of what God's given you. I mean, if you were to compare me to maybe Paris Hilton, she's more successful because she has more stuff, but I just try to do the best with what God has given me and not compare to anybody else. Great definition. Lines perfectly with mine. When you think about the future, what is exciting you today? I think I might have some of the most talented people on our team. 
today. And so we've got like a crazy talented group of people that are mission driven. And I feel honored to be able to provide that leadership. And they're just kicking in high gear now. And it's cool. We've got clients all across the world and we've got employees all across the world from San Antonio to Germany. And they're passionate about what we're doing. So I have no idea what God's going to do through this team. But when you have a talented football team or basketball team, you get excited. And that's where we're at today. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, every morning you wake up as a new day of endless possibilities. And if God's steering the ship, that's a pretty exciting place to be right there. By the way, do you do any financial work for any of the San Antonio basketball players? Is that how you ended up with your front row courtside seats or whatever? Or is that a whole other story? A little bit of a story. I mean, I don't do any work for them. I've done work for some prominent groups with some three-letter groups that are government agencies over the years. And I've become friends with some of the former players and been invited to do some things with them, which is really weird because... You know, I grew up and these guys were role models and today they're peers in a lot of ways. So I just, God's just done some crazy things in my life that way. So, you know, when God's done crazy things in my life that are just kind of interesting, I feel like this obligation that I've just got to make sure that I honor him in everything I do. Yeah, I love it. Peers that you can look up to. Yeah, exactly. Literally. Exactly. <laughs> Literally. And we have this new athlete called Wimbin Yama, and he's a seven foot four guy out of France. He's unbelievable. So we're as Spurs fans, we're about as excited as you get. And huge Spurs fan. I bet. Yeah. I bet. Right on. Have to check him out. What's the best way for our listeners to connect with you and follow along on your continued journey, Daryl? I like LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is a professional way to connect with me. So find me there, Daryl W. Lyons, and then. You can always go to the website, PAX Financial Group, P-A-X, and got a lot of content there. So there's a lot of eBooks and a lot of ways to connect with us there. Perfect. Perfect. Great. And we'll drop both of those links down below in the show notes. So it'll be spelled correctly and easy to find. Daryl, this has been awesome. Any closing comments you might want to leave with our Life's Hard Succeed Anyway listeners today? No, it's been great. Thank you. You've asked great questions and I just enjoy watching you grow and develop and do new things and encourage and inspire and be a man of God. So it's an honor for me to be here. So thank you for asking me to be here. Hey, the honor's all mine, brother. This is fun. I'm, I'm sorry it took so long to get you on the show, but I'm glad we did. Thank you for taking your time to come on here and share your wisdom and expertise. And I know you're just scratching the surface of what you have to share. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Alan. Appreciate it. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contact page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.